0: Jesse, how's it going?
1: You know, Katie, despite the state of the world, it's going really well. Um, One thing that I've been so grateful for and surprised by is the fact that even though you and I are a little bit controversial among some of our fellow progressives and leftists, I thought there'd be like drama or vitriol when we started this podcast. But as far as I can tell there's basically been no drama of any sort. No one's mad at us on Twitter. And and it's just sort of full sail ahead. We're not going to get sucked into any of that bullshit. We can just ignore it entirely because no one's even mad at us. Would you agree with that?
0: It has been remarkable. I thought there would be at least some stickers printed out by now, blocked and reported is transphobic, blocked and reported is Nazis, maybe a billboard outside my house. But there's been very little chatter. I guess we're right. Is that what this comes down to? Our haters seem to have disappeared.
1: You know, whatever it is, I think we can just rest assured there will be no drama. Before I officially cap this off and we get to the episode, let me just check Twitter really quick. Twitter.com. Uh oh. Katie, I've got some bad news.
0: Uh-oh, what happened, Jesse? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs>
1: Uh-oh. Uh So an old friend of both of ours who works at the New Republic named Joe Livingstone has some opinions. Do you want to uh, check that out?
0: Yeah, let me just pull this up here.
1: Be sure to do the thing where you're pretending to type like you saw this for the first time. It's important.
0: Oh, I see it. I see it. Joe is mad. Should I read a couple tweets for you? Please do. Okay, this this one's gonna require some some context. So uh, last night we were recording this on Thursday, and last night we did a digital event with Lee Stein, the author of the wonderful new book Self Care, which I highly recommend everybody check out. Um, as well as yeah, as well as Cat Rosenfield and Phoebe Maltz-Foey, who are our friends and the um, the host of the Feminine Chaos podcast on uh, you know Podcast Land, which I also recommend people check out. So we we did this event last night and um Joe Livingstone here, new Republic writer, tweeted, uh was keen to attend Lee Stein's digital event, but it was with Jesse Single and Katie Herzog. Uh oh. Uh-oh. i recently went to check out their podcast clicked on an episode at random and found them laughing at a private facebook group for non-binary people Uh oh okay so joe uh who goes by the pronouns they them um posted a link to our podcast which i really appreciate um and i i think it probably got us some some new fans um but it didn't stop there unfortunately um Joe, I guess, wrote uh, a a positive review of Lee Stein's book um, yesterday morning. And her follow up tweet, her next tweet is To have begun the day by praising Stein's book and then end it this way Washing the sound of Katie Herzog's laughter out of my ear canals is dizzy making. (laughs) Couple, wait, let me. (laughs) How do you wash the sound? (laughs)
1: First of all, right. This is a professional critic at the New Republic. Washing the sound, mixed metaphor alert. I have a way more annoying laugh than you, so you I don't really know why do. she would be watching. I mean, I don't know why they would be doing that. Um, these
0: no- these non-binary misogynists.
1: I think in a minute, we can actually explain why it's stupid to even pretend this was anti-non-binary. But what's funny to me is, like, Joe seeking out content that they know will annoy them. This was, for by Joe's own admission, 40 minutes into the podcast, this came up. So to... <laughs> Click on a podcast, quote unquote, at random. Listen closely to for for forty minutes. Get outraged, as you know you're going to do, because you're listening to a podcast hosted by two people you don't like. Is Joe does not like us, uh, and then to be like, oh man, I had to wash the laughter out of out of my ears is just sort of the sort of person you and I are both glad we don't really have to deal with much anymore, I think.
0: No, I mean, this is the really amazing part about this. So Joe didn't stop there. They also took a clip of the podcast that they found particularly offensive and put it up on SoundCloud, which I got to say, we've been talking about doing, but have been too lazy to do. So first of all, I want to thank Joe for this. It takes a lot of work (laughs) to do this. Um, And Joe did it for us. So I want to thank her for that or thank them for that. Um, Really, uh, you know, very kind of
1: yeah that that was kind of joe also we'll include a link to the clip so that anyone who wants to go back and hear it we're not trying to hide the thing itself but it just wasn't uh, this idea that it was this horribly offensive thing uh, is not true
0: no i I was talking about how i'm in a facebook group for uh called non-binary validity or something like that um and i was basically making fun of the facebook group and joe seems to to feel very um threatened by the fact that I snuck into a Facebook group, which is sort of odd because, like, I'm also in a Facebook group for anti-vaxxers. I believe in vaccines. Like, this is just observation. Um, You know, there's nothing wrong with, like, being in Facebook groups, even if you don't agree with the message of the Facebook group. It's just sort of a... It's Facebook archaeology, and as a journalist, I'm going to continue to do it, although I'll probably get kicked out of the Facebook group now.
1: Joe had one particularly crazy tweet about... Of course, I just lost it, but basically implying you were like invading or like infiltrating it. Right. Also, in the con, just, I, it's so annoying that I even have to do this. The full context of this, I believe we were talking about online validity discourse, which is this idea that you are not valid until random strangers on the internet tell you you're valid and you are rightfully making fun of this group because people would do things like post a photo of themselves looking androgynous and then other people would respond, that's amazing, you look so non binary. Which is funny, because that's silly. You don't you look non-binary by dressing androgynously. Anyone can, the whole point is it's this very sort of narcissistic, superficial need for validity from strangers, which we are allowed to make fun of and will continue to make fun of because it's funny.
0: Right. And so the really great thing about this, like if this had been, you know, like six months ago when I still had a job and I had to worry about getting fired or people complaining to my boss or whatever. The great thing about this is that it doesn't matter at all. Joe Livingstone can't hurt us. Um, we are immune from cancellation because we are funded exclusively by people who like our podcast. Um, by neo-Nazi supporters. <laughs> Yes, by an army of non-binary neo Nazis, um, and so Joe can't Joe can't do shit to us, um, and we are in such a such a exceptionally privileged place um, because of that. So thank you all, thank you all for listening and for supporting us and for not making us bow to people like Joe Livingstone.
1: Yeah, and I think like the right podcast policy is to maybe not. It will be funny to dip into this nonsense once in a while. Overall, we, of course, we prefer to the podcast to be about other people's internet drama than our own because we could talk about our own all day. But I, I'm all for once in a while being like, "Look at the uh, the low quality of our enemies." <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are uncancelable at this point. We have been canceled too many times, and now we can no longer be canceled.
1: There was a ridiculous blow up where a white woman painted this. What I thought was a touching photo of Emmett Till in his casket. Emmett Till, of course, is the victim of one of the worst lynchings of all time. The 21st century being the 21st century, a bunch of people immediately said the painting should be destroyed. Not taken down, but destroyed. Right. Joe Livingstone.
0: Who- Dana Schultz, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. Joe writes a piece as, I believe she's the art critic at the New Republic, which used to be a esteemed perch. Seems like they're in favor of destroying the painting. Uh, They phrase it a little bit fuzzily, but they're certainly not against it. So that's where we are in 21st century. Art critics afraid of being seen on the wrong side of things. Thank you,
0: Joe. Thank you for posting the clip. What is the name
1: of the podcast that is now embroiled in a nationwide controversy that is going to dominate the pages of The Times and the broadcast minutes of CNN for the next three weeks?
0: This is blocked and reported and it comes with a free ear washing kit.
1: <laughs> if you just wanna get the the anti envy sentiments out of your ear, it's just like this waxy substance. I'm Jesse Single.
0: And I'm Katie Herzog.
1: Katie, what are we discussing today?
0: Today, we're going to talk about Twitter pylons, what it's like to be in the midst of them, uh, specifically an article that showed up this week or last week in The Critic, a UK publication. And we are going to talk about the shitty media men list.
1: Yeah, uh, which will be interesting. I also I wanted to start the show by actually doing a couple corrections. So one thing I've loved about this podcast so far is we have very smart and astute listeners. And a couple of times they've they've ridden us. A couple times they've written in with corrections that that we agree should be corrected. So the policy is going to be if we get something wrong, we will um, on the off infinitesimal chance we get something wrong, and I might have just mispronounced that word, which would require correction. Uh, We'll, we'll say so on the podcast, and then I'm going to go back in the episode notes later today or tomorrow and just do a quick note. These will be quick. I just want to acknowledge them. One is that in a, the episode called Protests and Riots Everywhere, Media Insane, Things Bad, and so on and so forth, that was a bonus episode. We claimed that in 1968, Nixon won in a landslide. Uh, reader thoughtfully wrote in and pointed out that's false. He, this is a quote from his email. By raw votes and popular percentage, that election was close. Nixon got 43.4%, Humphrey 42.7%, and George Wallace 13.5%. The Electoral College was less close. Tricky Dick won in a landslide in 1972. So 68 election, not as close.
0: Well, revisionist history is very in right now, so I don't feel too bad, but apologies. Yes, apologies. Uh, The other one, uh, this was
1: Brian. Sorry, I didn't have the other guy's name in front of me. I'm going to leave out last names just in case. He pointed out that we said Merriam-Webster dictionary was updating its definition of racism to make it more in line with this idea pushed by Robin D'Angelo and others that only white people can be racist. No such thing as a racist black person. Brian sent along a Snopes article showing that that's not true. Rather, what's going on is the dictionary is debating sort of expanding its second definition for racism to make it make it a bit more about implicit bias and structural racism and stuff like that this hasn't happened yet so who knows what it'll look like but the point is there's no talk of them going that full crazy nine yards black people can't be racist route so we apologize for getting that wrong And we'll include a link to the snopes article when we put a correction in that episode show notes okay so final correction last episode katie said and this is a direct quote Jesse, evolution is bullshit. (laughs) Everyone knows the world was created a thousand years ago, but the secular media is trying to make people think that's not true. But everyone knows it's true because it says so in the Bible. So as you were saying that, Katie, I I vaguely remembered some stuff from science class and geology. I didn't want to say anything in the moment because you were really in the zone. I looked it up. It turns out the world was not created anywhere near that long ago. It was actually created billions of years ago, and we apologize for that.
0: Okay, well, that's what you say, because you're reading some books, but I read other book and my book says the world was created in six days and man roamed the, the world with dinosaurs. So I guess one of us is reading fake news, and I'm not quite sure which one.
1: I think the journalistic thing to do right now is just say, it's basically a he said she said thing. There's no way to know who's right. And there's no way to check, really. So it's not a correction. It's just uh, more context. Some people claim the Earth was created like two weeks ago, others billions of years ago. Genuinely no way to know the truth. So let's just leave it at that.
0: I'm pretty sure it was created 37 years ago when I was born.
1: <laughs> I feel similarly. Okay, what, what what? that's it for the corrections. Thank you. If we get something wrong, always let us know. We will correct it if it warrants a correction. Katie, what should we talk about first? Uh,
0: Let's do Shitty Media Men. How about that?
1: Yes. Let's do it.
0: So... In 2017, I believe it was 2017. If I if it was not 2017, please send your corrections to Jesse.
1: <laughs> this um, is really yeah. It's <laughs> gonna yeah, create a lot of work. For me, this
0: <laughs> a Google Sheet appeared online entitled "Shitty Media Men List," and there was a it was a list. It was a list of men who work in media, um, and, uh, and a bunch of anonymous allegations leveled against them. And some of them were really serious allegations, things like assault and rape and. And others were less serious, things like weird DMs and creepy dinners and... Uh, I think one of them at one point was snuck into Binders, which is a Facebook group. So I guess I I would also be on the, the shitty media men list for sneaking into Facebook groups where I wasn't wanted. <laughs> so this list wasn't online for very long, but it was spread very, very quickly. Um, I think within 12 hours, it had been taken offline after BuzzFeed and some other places uh, wrote about it. And um, it was all anonymous. None of this was fact checked. There was a sort of a disclaimer at the top of the list that said, like, this is just based on rumor. Take everything with a grain of salt, which I suppose was the author. Off- way of maybe trying to get around any sort of legal problems. Well, it didn't work. So a few months after that, a rumor started to circulate online that Katie Royfe, the writer Katie Royfe, um, who's sort of a contrarian feminist type, was going to reveal the author of the Sheedy Medium Enlist in a piece for Harper's. And I don't believe this was ever confirmed, but there was this big firestorm, and all of these uh, sort of cultural gatekeepers of Twitter um, announced that this was happening and said they would no longer be publishing at Harper's. Um, soon after that, the creator of the Sheedy Medium Enlist came out. Uh, in an essay for New York Magazine's The Cut. And it turned out the creator of this was a woman named Moira Donegan. And Moira wrote, wrote uh, this this sort of touching piece about the reason she did this and how there these whisper networks had existed for, um, you know, forever about particular men in media or politics or Hollywood or whatever sort of industry and how this, had never, this was never meant to be sort of a public thing. It was just supposed to be like to, you know, to... to warn women about the men they might be working with. Um, and this is also during sort of the like fever pitch of Me Too. Um, so so those were the circumstances surrounding this. So about a year later, uh, one of the guys who was listed on this, Stephen Elliott, wrote an essay for the website Quillette about what being included on this list had done to his career. Um, Stephen was, uh, I think the particular allegations against him were like sexual assault, um, being creepy, sneaking into buying he was the one who stuck into binders. Although I don't think Stephen was aware of what binders was, when he was <laughs> alleged to have snuck into it.
1: I, I also think the the accusation specifically said this is weird, but might be an important distinction. I don't think it said rape. I think it said something like rape accusation.
0: Yeah. So so uh, so a. a an alleged rape accusation, right? So Stephen wrote about this for Colette and what it had done. And, and the interesting thing about Stephen is that Stephen is a freak. Um, He, and I, and I mean this in a loving way, he doesn't have like a conventional sex life. Stephen has written a lot about his sex life and he's basically like a little baby bottom bitch. He likes to get tied up. He does not have penetrative sex with women. Um, And because of this, he is totally convinced that no one who has ever had sex with him would have made this allegation because he just doesn't have sex like that. And that's not to say that, you know, they're like if you don't have penetrative sex with people that there aren't like sexual assault isn't is like a total impossibility. But Stephen just knows that he didn't assault anybody. So he wrote this piece for Quillette. And um, there was, of course, like a giant firestorm after this. He had initially pitched it for a couple of other like more mainstream outlets um, and they were accepted and then killed. Um I guess, for probably obvious reasons. And uh, a few months after that, Stephen um, decided to sue Moira Donegan, the creator of the list. And so over the past, I guess, year and a half or so, um, this has been working its way through the courts. And just this week, Moira's um, attempt to have the suit dropped was uh, was dismissed. The specific sort of um, legal mechanism here, so I'm not a lawyer. I don't understand the legality of this. So once again, when I get it wrong, send corrections to Jesse. Um, but it's difficult in the U.S. for public figures to sue for defamation. The bar is just really high. Um, and so the judge ruled in this case that Stephen is, does not qualify as a public figure. Um, and so the, the case will proceed and he will be given discovery, which is what Stephen wants. He is not a person who is particularly motivated by money, um, but he wants to know who put him on this list. Um, and I'm sure There will be uh, further attempts uh, from Moira's lawyers um, to get this thrown out. But it looks like at this point, Discovery will go forth and Stephen might actually find out who put him on the list.
1: Yeah, this this facet of the case has always been so interesting and weird because, I mean, I've always been a little bit tortured about the list itself because – the fact of the matter is that in 2020, people make shit up about other human beings online constantly. We've 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 both seen this happen. Our, it happened to our friend Kat Rosenfield, who mentioned it last night. Um, it's happened to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean people are going around left and right saying so and so raped me when they didn't. But this is a case where, like, I can understand the reason for the list existing, especially because I know I've known. I'm thinking of one friend in particular who was in journalism at a major newspaper. Uh, getting regularly sexually harassed by someone who was significantly older than her and had significant power over her, but was this sort of established staffer with, with the protection of the guild, and it would have been very difficult for her to take any action. And I remember when I first heard about this, I was like 26 or so. I was like, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? Why don't you report him? But I think in reality, it is often hard to report people for stuff like that, and that's why whispered networks exist. And whispered networks are imperfect, but they exist for a reason. The problem here is you If you just have an anonymous person saying you were accused of rape, that's incredibly damaging and even in a non legal situation like this, the person being accused should have some right to know what the accusation is, otherwise this could just hang over his life forever so i'm I'm sympathetic to him he is incredibly unpopular uh among sort of writer types these days because after it came out that he was sort of questioning this and suing this, people came forward with stories not of being raped by him but of just sort of more general what they viewed as creepiness. And that sort of annoyed me because the accusation that caused him to sue was not that he was like creepy because that's subjective and anyone could be called creepy for any reason. Someone had said he raped someone or was accused of raping someone and no one's been able to even figure out who said that. So I... I don't know, man, I'm I'm torn on this one. I don't want people like being unmasked or whatever, but doesn't he have some right to know who added this potentially career destroying, what he views as a lie to this document?
0: Yeah. You know, this one, I have sort of complicated feelings about this one because it does sort of pit these principles of free speech, which I hold very dear um, against, you know, sort of libel. And I, I don't think that that libel should libel isn't protected you know, isn't a protected part of the First Amendment. Um, But do I think people should be able to out their abusers? Well, yeah, I do. Um, But it's complicated. I mean, there's a difference between a whisper network and an online doc that is available to anybody with with the with the password that didn't even have a password anybody with the link it's just fundamentally different and this has happened more the shitty media Bin list was not the only one of these lists the university some students at the university of washington um, created the same thing where they were sourcing anonymous assault and rape allegations from not just of uw students but basically anybody on uh, anybody in the u.s anybody on planet earth you could just you know, without any sort of verification, drop it into the list. You know, I could say like, well, Jesse single likes to have sex with horses and it would just be like completely (laughs)
1: unproven. People have been saying this for years. I'm I can we can I actually take him in to clarify this? Because I yes, I am close. (laughs) Some of my best friends are horses. Yes. Things get physical if we're, like, in the barn late at night. It's cold. We're talking about New England. This is a barn in New England. People have completely misinterpreted this, and I just want the rumors to stop. Jesse, as
0: as long as you get consent first, I'm fine with it. Love is love is love, in the words of Lin-Manuel Miranda. (laughs) So I wrote about this um, when all this drama was happening. I wrote about Stephen and his lawsuit, and there were a bunch of um, a bunch of allegations about Stephen's behavior, and none of them came close to sort of assault type allegations. And I interviewed a couple of the people, or I attempted to interview a couple of the people who were making some allegations against him. Like there's a, a writer named Liz Lens, um, and she had said that. She basically on Twitter she said that Stephen demanded her unpaid labor when she was like an intern or something at um at the Rumpus, which was this it's this website that Stephen founded. Um and and then Stephen sent me the correspondence between him and Liz and he like offered to pay her for her work. So it just wasn't true. (laughs) And there was there was it was just it was a lie. It was just a fucking lie. And there was a lot of this surrounding Stephen. And Stephen is I interviewed a couple of his friends about him. And I've spoke, I've spent a lot of time speaking with him, and he is kind of a weirdo, you know, and he writes about this. He writes really graphically about it uh, in his, in his work. Um, he was sort of raised by wolves. I mean, this is the, the, the movie based on his life, the Adderall Diaries. If you watch this, you'll, you'll see he had like an incredibly abusive household. He was a ward of the state for, as a teenager. Um, he's just had this like crazy, crazy life, and he has some, some like weird boundaries and tendencies. Um, but nothing sort of, even that comes even remotely close to assault. Um, But it doesn't matter because Stephen was put on this list. Uh, There was a, you know, the claim that he was accused of rape. And since then, at one point, somebody, so he lives in new Orleans. Somebody spray painted rapist on his uh, on the door of not like the like the garage of his house. Somebody vandalized his car like so these consequences. It's not just that Stephen can't get published anywhere besides places like Quillette. It's not just that his agent dropped him. It's not just that he can't make any money. Um, it's also that he's getting fucking harassed in his home. Yeah so as much as I like as I like think that people should you know have the right to to name their accusers well if you put that shit in a list and you put it online people are going to abuse it and then there's collateral damage like people like Steven and he's not the only person who has who has come out and talked about um talked about what being included on this list has done to him
1: Yeah no I mean there've been others too there's this, this piece everyone should read that as always I'll put in the show notes called hi I'm on the shitty media men list but maybe you already knew that it's by a guy named Mike Tunison, uh, T-U-N-I-S-O-N. So in this case, the the allegation said stalking, harassment, physical intimidation, and that an HR complaint was filed at the Washington Post. Mike argues convincingly, no one's presented any evidence of any of this, HR complaint was not filed at the Washington Post. And his life as a freelancer was basically over as soon as he showed up on this list. And as he pointed out, um... If your name ended up on this list and you worked at BuzzFeed or whatever, there was there were at least a couple people on there from BuzzFeed. If you were a staffer, you had the benefit of HR. I don't think people who were staffers got immediately fired for being on this list. Rather, there were investigations. And in at least a couple instances, investigations found there wasn't enough to fire the person. If like Mike Tunison or Stephen Elliott, you were more of a freelance type where you rely on working as a contractor for outlets or publishers you were sort of screwed because like, who's going to actually do the investigation to either clear your name or confirm the allegations. So Mike was another guy. Like I, I just, I believe him. I mean, maybe I'm a fool, but if you read his piece, I don't, it just seems like there was a miscommunication or maliciousness here. And again, I'm biased because at the lowest point of my own moments of controversy, people really did just make stuff up about me and stuff that, if it had been believed by a wide audience, could have ended my career. Like, that's how bad it gets. So this stuff happens.
0: Can you talk about the Caitlin Burns thing?
1: Yeah. So in my case, people got mad at me for writing about, well, they they said I wrote a lot about trans women. I actually, I've written about gender dysphoric kids. So there have been two main incidents. One involved a woman at Vox named Caitlin Burns, who she did a long sob thread about how I had basically psychologically bullied her into doing an interview, which uh, she's I think at the time she was 34, I was 34. I asked to interview her for my piece about detransitioners. She said yes quickly. She lied about a lot of stuff, uh, including that she had told me to fuck off, and then I had kept pestering her to interview her. None of that happened. Luckily, I had all the chat logs. I posted them. I think that, at the very least, prevented me from experiencing any, like, bad permanent cancellation consequences because it was all right there i had the chat logs for a large number of people in my own field they now know capital k know that i harassed and was creepy toward this woman caitlin burns who in fact i had totally normal correspondence with there was another incident involving nicole cliff she's a writer at slate and she tweeted out to her hundred fifty thousand followers that i was creepy around trans women uh without any details she deleted it much later without saying anything this too just became a rumor that caught on and being the target of something like that of like a malicious attack on your reputation where people don't provide any evidence because there is not is like it's not traumatic but it's in the neighborhood because like when you have everyone someone like nicole cliff who has a major platform uh just sort of saying yeah jesse's creepy around trans people she also said that i sort of um Sort of, it tried to insinuate myself by by asking them to talk stuff over over lunch, like as though I would get in fights with people and then say, "Oh yeah, let's talk this over in person," which is not not something I've done. I mean, I've interviewed trans people, but I don't. Um, it's just it gets very cough gas and hard to explain how frustrating that is. And this is definitely part of why I. I um, support Stephen Elliott to a point until someone can prove that he was actually accused of rape ever and that I support Mike Tunisian until someone can prove there was an HR complaint against and people make shit up online all the time
0: right and we're seeing a, a, a new version of this right now so there have been all of these sort of not uh, rape lists they're now like racist lists where people are um, you know collecting not even evidence but just sort of names and saying like names of like particularly like high school kids there's been this like all of these followers Fawning pieces in the media lately over um, these these young people who are. Basically, collecting allegations of racial racist incidents, putting them online, and like outing you know high school kids over stuff that they may or may not have done. Um, and so, Stevens, the, if Stevens' lawsuit succeeds, these people should be fucking terrified. Um, when the University of Washington students did the same thing, I talked to a lawyer about it, and the lawyer was like, "If I were their lawyer, I would tell them to cease and desist immediately. You cannot you cannot make public allegations like this, especially of non public figures, and not expect to." have have no consequences. Although Moria has, aside from Stephen's Steven's lawsuit, she seems to have gotten very, had very few consequences. Um, her career seems to be doing very well, um, in part because of, you know, she's sort of famous because, because of this list.
1: Yeah, I mean, the legal stuff gets tricky. There, to me, there's two sides of the, the high school thing. One is like, I, I think if a kid posts a racist meme at 15, that should not ruin his life, end of story, the same way the examples I've used when I've written about this, like if, if a confused Muslim kid downloads jihadist literature at 15, that shouldn't ruin his life. If a, if a kid in a rough neighborhood murders someone at 15, that shouldn't ruin his life forever. And there is this sort of bloodlust at the moment that in our worst moment, uh, whatever we do should define us forever. Then, as you point out, there's also cases where people are just accused and it's either fabricated because it's very easy to sort of forge a um, like a Snapchat still that is convincing enough people will spread it. Or people just spread rumors without specifics. So, yeah, I'm not saying these are all legally actionable, because especially if you call someone racist and that's a subjective um, assessment. In some cases, though, absolutely, this could cause legal trouble. It's also just, again, it's a question of like what we want society to look like. Why? What's the best way to, to bring people justice? And. You know, you need to balance different things, especially in an area like sexual assault and harassment where there are very good reasons women might not want to come forward and might want to do the the whisper network thing. But again, when you put it online in a Google document anyone can read, you're opening yourself up to legal trouble. And, that, and I'm a little bit sympathetic to Stephen here. Again, until someone can prove that anyone ever accused him of rape, which no one has come close to doing.
0: That's the thing about this. I mean, it also – when you have cases like this like Stevens or Mike Tunison or these other cases where there's no actual allegation, I think that discredits the Me Too movement entirely. Um and maybe that's not fair, but if you see or the Al Franken case, you know, which was which Jane Mayer did a really good job in the New Yorker of sort of poking holes in, um when you there's this sort of narrative on the left that false rape allegations are incredibly rare and they never happen well that's not really true I mean we've talked about this on a previous podcast, but so this data is really imperfect, but the best estimates that we have are that between about two and ten percent of of allegations made to the police turn out to be false it's specifically of sexual assault right, and that doesn't include allegations made online that doesn't include you know sort of rumors um spreading through social networks or whatever so the idea that people don't lie about this stuff is just crazy. I mean, I don't think that, like, false rape allegations are a are like a, a pandemic or anything like that. But it, people lie about everything. Why would this be any different?
1: They lie about everything. And also, again, it's a totally different context, as we've discussed, going to the cops, having to, like, deal with a, a rape test and talking to male police officers versus online anonymously it's easy to attack your enemies this is what people do and i got us i should be clear when the right hated me the same thing happened like this this woman who i reached out for comment on a gamergate related story just later posted a comment somewhere saying that i had like uh, i had stalked her i'd stalked her because i'd asked her for comment like people just their brains melt online and they act in a very immoral way and you're right that like if if we don't i don't I know so many – again, I've said this before. I know so many women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted and never come close to getting justice for it because they didn't feel like they could report it or really take any action. This makes that even harder. When you when you pretend that any random accusation is true, it, it, it sort of cheapens the act of accusing someone. There's like inflation going on where accusations are worth less than they used to be, and that's bad. with when, when person A accuses a person B – it's better for society if we can say that's probably true because why would they do a false accusation? But I think these days that's less and less true.
0: Right. I mean, same thing with hate crimes. You know, the Jesse Smollett hate crime probably did more to harm the actual victims of hate crimes than anybody else I can think of. I mean, it's just you know, and maybe that's not fair. I don't think that there's also an, an epidemic of false hate crime reporting. Um, but if 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 you have these high profile incidents that are Proved to be hoaxes. Well, every—I mean, it's only sort of natural that people sort of get skeptical.
1: Yeah, it's not—it's not great. But um, it'll be interesting to see how the the case plays out. Like, it would be fascinating in the Elliot case. Like, I mean, what if what if we get to find out? Is your understanding that the possibility is we could literally find out which account edited that entry or added accused of rape to it?
0: Yes, um, that's my understanding. Um, I've talked to Stephen a little bit um, via DM, and I had initially thought that. It was possible that he was that the discovery would include everybody who was involved in the creation of the list. Which, if that came out, there would be a whole lot of women who um, maybe would be vulnerable to lawsuits like his. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems that this will only pertain to Stephen's particular entry. It'll be interesting to see. So we might find out. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm already ner- I'm already nervous about the 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 my own incident when I mentioned it because both both the people who did this to me. When I went online and publicly defended myself, me defending myself was taken as a horrific act of abuse, that I had done something wrong to them. And it's just – I I think that like if you haven't been through this, like I, I know how it comes across when like every – year and a half or two years I get reactivated about this and get really angry about it and sometimes write about it. But until you've had that situation of someone trying to do that to you and then you simply defend yourself by saying, this is bullshit, show me some evidence, and then they respond as though a request for evidence or defending yourself is in fact harassment. It It, it is, like, I don't know if Kafka esque is the right word or cultish, but this is why there needs to be some common sense guardrails on the idea of, like, always, always, always believing victims, especially in cases where... If something had happened, there would be evidence of it online. Like if I had been creepy, there would be evidence because this is all supposedly online. So this stuff drove me crazy. And if I had been earlier in my career, it it could have absolutely torpedoed my career. I'm just lucky I was further along and that the two people who went after me are – I don't know, sort of helpless and they didn't really do a good job because it was I don't, to me obviously not the
0: case. I mean, there are way, way more realistic claims they could make they could have made about you. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, I'm an asshole
1: online, I'm a bad person, I treat everyone in my orbit horribly. What
0: else? You're obsessed with carbohydrates. I'm
1: obsessed with pizza. The horse thing, which, again, isn't true, but it is a rumor that's out there. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: I mean, God, just look at your hair. They could have just talked about your hair. Seriously.
1: Uh, but no, like, just people do not spread accusations about someone unless you're sure they're true. This this stuff is so corrosive. Like, it's not good. It's not good that people who do stuff get away with it. It's also not good that people who didn't do stuff get, get dragged for it. It's all It's all bad.
0: Um, speaking of, uh, so the next thing we're going to talk about, um, there was this great piece in the critic, a UK publication, um, this week or maybe last week, called "The Eye of the Storm." Uh, Marie Lacan, I am probably pro- mispronouncing her name, Marie Lacan, on the bruising experience of inadvertently becoming the target of a Twitter feeding frenzy, um, and she writes about this exact thing. Um, she starts out with this: "This I'm going to read this the first paragraph here." There is one rule about Twitter that is probably worth knowing about, as at Maple Cocaine put it. Each day on Twitter there is one main character. The goal is to never be it. And so she writes this piece about the various occasions where she has become uh, the main the main Twitter character of the day. Um, I'm gonna read another paragraph here that I, I just really liked and I think describes it really well. It's hard to describe what it feels like being the main character on Twitter. People tweet at you at first to criticize what you said, then insulting you for what you said, then trying to find other things you said to criticize and insult you for, then moving on and discussing your appearance, what you may be like in bed, and anything else they can think of. They tweet about you, which is more disconcerting if you aren't a celebrity, which I am not. They are no longer tweeting about you to each other. It's a book club, and you're the book. Um, and it's such a great way of putting it. This has happened to me a bunch of times um just last week i got i I became the book um uh like for something that i tweeted that i thought was really innocuous and this was actually jesse i think this was sort of your fault um this was i can't remember the exact tweet but you were tweeting something as uh as as we do daily about robin (laughs) d'angelo and the point of your, your tweet was something about do you remember what it was i don't it was something about your like your concern as a Jewish person that telling people like that they should focus oh, on oh their...
1: yeah that like making white people feel like whiteness is really important is it seems like the exact opposite direction because under situations where whiteness is seen as an important identity Jewish people such as myself don't tend to do well
0: right and so you were retweeted by a white an actual white nationalist this guy Greg Johnson in Seattle um, who uh, <laughs> who whose work I am not too familiar with um, but somebody who is who has reported on him sent me a Sent me a link to this, so that's that's how I ended up seeing it. And so I retweeted Greg Johnson, and I said something like, um, "Surprise, surprise! The white nationalist thinks the hyper focus on identity might be a good thing." So I tweeted in response to this. One of the reasons I've been worried about the current state of racial politics is the potential that it will ag- drive aggrieved white people to the to the far right. Seems like an obvious problem, but I rarely see people talking about it. So this, like for like a day, this was just like nothing happened. I mean, it got lots of like tweets and comments or whatever but most of it was just like people agreeing with me like maybe focusing on white as a racial characteristic um and also like as robin d'angelo does and i apologize for once again not being able to make it through an entire <laughs> podcast without talking about her one day we will get there we're I gonna promise. have like a celebratory um,
1: sound effect when we do yeah
0: yeah i, I wonder if, will that count though is talking about her if we talk about how we're not going to talk Ooh, about what her a riddle, what a riddle, it's complicated yeah. um so, you know, for like a day, it was mostly people agreeing with me. Like, yeah, maybe it isn't a great idea to tell people that they're born racist, um, tell white people in particular that they're born racist, and there's basically nothing they can do about it except repent over and over and over again. Um, maybe that's going to cause some racial resentment. Um, and so then the next day, it took a totally different turn. And this this woman named Josie Rice Duffy, um, who's a, a lawyer uh, and does some stuff in media, I believe, um, retweeted. Not the entire quote, but 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 part of it. Um, and then this it turned into a thing where thousands of people were like talking about this this tweet that had been totally stripped of context. So they took instead of like posting a, a link to the entire thread, they just took a screenshot. So you couldn't tell that it was in the context of this white nationalist. Um, this white nationalist talking about about, like racial identity stuff, it looked like I was saying like, oh, Black Lives Matter is the focus on black lives is going to turn white people racist, which is absolutely not not what I was saying. It was not my argument at all, but people were just posting this fucking screenshot and it got to the point where I just like muted the thread and was like, I just am not going to spend my time like worrying about this. I defended myself as best that I could, but I couldn't change anybody's mind. They saw what they saw, what they wanted to see. And then so a friend of mine sent me a text message um, he like logged on to Twitter, and the first thing he saw was some, you know, blue check mark. Um, posted the screenshot and said something about how this was like, uh, like I clearly had never spoken to a black person in my life. Um, right. So it was just, and it, it, you know, it, it's been a while since I, since I was the was the book, since I was the the character of the day, and I had forgotten how fucking aggravating it is. Um, and you know, my way of dealing with it is basically just to like mute notifications and move on. But that's because I I've sort of developed. Th- thick skin around this kind of thing because it happens. Um, there was another time last year where I tweeted something that I thought was equally innocuous about how I think that uh, maybe, like, if everyone like helped other people, um, that might be more effective than talk therapy. And I, I wasn't just like, I mean, I was sort of talking out of my ass, but there, I think there is some some you know pretty good evidence that getting out of your head and not perseverating on your problems is a is a, an effective way of dealing with with uh, with some was feeling bad, you know? It's like better to exercise than than to sit around and wallow, you know, wallow in your bullshit or whatever. It, to me it seemed like pretty fucking innocuous. God, you would have you would have thought that I said that I had voted for Donald Trump and have sex with babies. I mean, it's just the reaction to that was just <laughs> totally. I mean, people were like accusing me of of like causing suicides because I said that, you know, like you should go volunteer at a homeless shelter instead of go to talk therapy every once in a while. And you have also been the been the character uh, Uh, many times
1: yeah I mean I think it's not just developing a thick skin but you need to recognize the sort of person who's going to like take something out of context to try to dunk on you they're not looking for an argument they're not looking it's not like you'll be like well you missed this other tweet and then they'll say oh my bad I'll delete this then like there's never it's not a normal form of discourse and I think I got myself in trouble in my younger years by which I mean my early 30s uh, by trying to engage with people who are just trying to sort of Make me the Twitter character of the day. And there's just a lot of people, including a surprising number of journalists and academics, who who act in really bad faith ways on Twitter. And, you know, I have so many Normie friends who just aren't on Twitter, and I'm glad they're not on Twitter. They, you sh- probably shouldn't be on Twitter unless you can find some, like, twisted, messed up way like we have for it to actually benefit your career. But overall, it's just um, – it's an incredibly unpleasant f- feeling to – To be misrepresented and have people not sort of give you the benefit of the doubt because we'd all like to think we deserve that. But on Twitter, that's not the the social dynamics.
0: Right. You know, there can be some advantages here. I mean – I think it's a great learning experience. It has certainly changed the way that I engage with Twitter. Um, but I, I still struggle, you know, sometimes with um, with wanting to, like, call somebody out if I see something that I feel like is egregiously stupid because it's just, like, so fun. Um, so I totally understand the impulse to join pylons and to create pylons. I mean, just yesterday, so I, uh, I got an email from someone. I had asked on Twitter. I was, like, looking for some help um, getting better at, at editing the podcast. And I got a ton of messages from people who offered to help. Um, they basically all said that we need to get better microphones. Um, but so, uh, which if you donate to our Patreon, we we will be able to do. Um, and, uh, and so I got an email from some guy that said like, Hey, uh, I'm not going to help you with your podcast. Um, but I just wanted you to know that you're racist, transphobic piece of shit, bitch and uh, you know and I, I got the email and like it had been sort of a while since I got one of those emails I used to get them all the time when I was at the stranger and I don't like getting emails like that like it, it bothers me it's it's aggravating it sort of makes me mad um, and so I thought for about half a second and I wrote the guy back and I said hey um, I'm going to post your email on Twitter I'm going to do the favor of obscuring your email address um, you know thanks for the note and I, I did exactly that I, I put a screenshot up um, I you know it included his name. Um, his name is uh, common enough, so I don't think he's going to get fired or anything like that. Um, you know, and I, I do, in retrospect, like maybe I shouldn't have, you know, people are allowed to call me a bitch. I, I wish that they wouldn't do it in my email. I wish they would do it behind my back. You know, but if you put yourself in a position where you're somewhat of a, of a public figure or even a minor public figure, you're going to get shitty emails. And is it wrong to sort of, um, to, to post something like that, to call someone else out, even if they're being a like a piece of shit. Um, I don't know. What are your feelings about this?
1: It's complicated. I actually hadn't gotten one of those emails in a while either. I, I was emailing around looking for fact checking help for my book and I got from a potential fact checker, just like a really nasty note. Uh, and my initial reaction was to, to just blow her up online. But then I realized like, I, I just, I need to let it go. I think I need to be the bigger person here. This might be a different situation because it's like someone sort of in the industry. I don't want to like cause, her any harm even though i think this was really obnoxious but i I don't know what the answer is and i still don't think if you send someone an email with the expectation of privacy that's silly because there's no expectation of privacy so I, i'm torn on it i it's also like with all like the online shaming and like businesses getting ruined over nothing and or people's careers at least i sort of think the only real solution is i hate to say this but like when civis analytics fired david shore i was helping to like increase the outrage at Civis Analytics. Maybe that's different because it's a company rather than an individual, but I want people to know that this shitty, craven company fired a kid for tweeting a study. That's really bad. That's If you're progressive and you care about labor rights, not that our country really has any labor rights, this should offend you. So am I contributing to the pylon? Am I making the climate worse? I don't. I don't know what else we're supposed to do other than try to nudge these social incentives away from outrage and shaming, but it's hard to do that without outrage and shaming
0: right it it's such a weird conundrum because it's like i want cancel culture to stop but it's my way of of fighting against cancel culture to cancel the cancelers well that's just the same thing i mean somebody the other day um sent me a list of of cancelers (laughs) like a like a crowdsourced list of people who have who you know engage in cancel culture which i like I, i don't want i don't want a list I might want to see the list. I don't want to post the list. Um, But I don't want people to keep fucking anonymous lists about anything. Um, Yeah. But, you know, there are like the incentives are are real. And my goal, like in this case, my goal isn't just to like amuse myself and like get likes, uh, although that is certainly part of it. But part of my incentive for tweeting this email was because I I want this guy to stop. Um, I don't want him to email people like that. And so if there are some consequences to this, if you realize if it, If it takes me telling you I'm going to post your email um, for you to realize that you shouldn't send people shitty emails and expect zero consequences, well, is that worth it? I'm not totally sure it is, Um, but I was unable to stop myself, at least yesterday.
1: Yeah, not a lot of easy answers in this nightmarish online hellscape. Um, But yeah, I mean, we ended up branching off a little. I'm glad we did, but the, the piece is really good. I'll include a show note to it, this piece on being the eye of the storm, and Yeah, I'd be curious to get listeners' thoughts on on what you think the etiquette should be here. Because part of the conflict is just there's no consensus on the etiquette. Most people, different people have totally different views of what the appropriate etiquette is. And people are incredibly disingenuous where they will adopt one set of etiquette as the norm for their online enemies and another for their online allies so you will see people who claim to be against online harassment very much participating in it so yeah, it's all a mess. yeah. But, my
0: goal is to be as as least hypocritical as i possibly can um which i definitely don't always succeed at but that's usually the goal my goal is to speak out publicly
1: against hypocrisy but then be hypocritical <laughs> in all my actions
0: that works too
1: is that it for this subject and for this episode? Anything else we wanted
0: to talk about? Yeah, I think that's uh, it. You
1: can always email us, and reported podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at The Bar Pod. What do we got? We got Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash reported. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We've got a lot of ratings lately. They've been very kind. We appreciate that.
0: Have you noticed that, that the, the good ones, people leave a review, and the bad ones, they just leave a star? A one-star. Cowards. Blow them up.
1: Find their names. Publish the names of one-star reviewers online and their home address. And their pictures. And their weight. I'm just kidding. Joe Livingston's going to see this and and just take that quote out of context. Joe, I'm kidding.
0: They're going to put the clip up on SoundCloud. Okay, that's it for us. This has been
1: another Blocked and Reported. If you're hearing this before 4th of July, I hope it's great and that you don't burn your hand off with fireworks. If you hear this after 4th of July, I'm sorry you burned your hand off with fireworks. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single and remember, the only way to fight the people unfairly shaming online shamers is to shame the shamer
0: shamers. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you need to wash the sound of my laughter out of your ears, don't forget to use soap.